0: For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. These are the words which bring us to the table of the Lord. They are familiar. They are even comforting. But in actual fact, these words reveal a horror. Things are not right in the world. And people react differently to that reality. A few weeks ago, America watched in shock, horror, and disbelief as the Capitol building was invaded and trashed. And some politicians and commentators talking about this after the event said things like, we're better than that, or this is not who we are. But I noticed on Twitter Just a few days after that, a tweet from Fleming Rutledge, one of America's best living theologians. She said this, I'm on record that I dislike this is not who we are. We are helpless captives of sin and death. That's who we are. Recognizing Christ as our redeemer is our identity as Christians. Impossible without his sacrificial self-giving. Our race has not covered itself in glory. Not even those who are religious. This last week has brought to mind just how bad things really are with the publication of the report into the mother and baby homes in Northern Ireland. I was listening just this morning on Radio Ulster at breakfast time to the moving story of Peter Quigley not in his usual thought for the day slot, but speaking as a child who had been born in Thorndale House, the Salvation Army home in Belfast, and who was adopted and never saw his mother again until just 18 months before she died. The stories are horrendous. One, for example, of a young mother in one of the institutions forced to clean up the floor herself after her waters broke. Things are not right in the world. But it's worse than that. And this activity in which we are about to engage is a constant reminder of just how bad it really is. You are about to experience that at this table spread for us now. As we come to take bread and wine and share this meal together around the table, we see two things in it. The first one is this we realise how bad things actually are as we gather around this table, because at this table, you see in it the cost. Sometimes you don't really know how badly something is damaged until you know what it is going to cost to put it right. That's true, for example, of an accident in the car or of a flood in your home or of an injury that you might sustain. A number of years ago, after I had a serious road traffic accident on a motorcycle, and had damaged both of my knees. I was taken to hospital. I had to wait overnight until the next day till a specialist came in and he had examined the x-rays they had taken. And and he said to me, before I went to theater, he said, look, I'm not exactly sure what I'm gonna have to do. But he said, uh, if you waken up and there is plaster on your legs, Uh, then I haven't been able to repair the damage that that you have done. You will be in plaster for six weeks, and after that you'll have to learn to walk again. However, if you come out of theatre and you're not in plaster, it means that I have been able to repair the damage that you have done, and you'll be in your feet in a couple of days. The very first thing I did when I came round after surgery was to gingerly let my hand go down my leg to see if there were plaster on my knees. There wasn't. With nails, with screws and wire, he was able to repair the damage I had done. And true enough, although it was exceptionally painful to do, within a few days I was back on my feet. The extent of the damage that I had done was known in the cost of what it was going to do to put it right. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, kneeling it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The cost of putting right what is wrong with the world is the cross of Christ. The sacrament that brings us together around the table of the Lord is the proclamation of the death of Christ. It is the reminder of the cross. And understanding the cross is not just about the physical, mental, and spiritual horror of its brutality. The desolation and the shame that was involved. It is also about who it is that we see there. Stunning words of Isaac Watts. See from his head his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown. This was the son of whom the father said at his baptism, this you are my son. You are the one I love. You make me very glad. That's who is hanging on this cross. And we know from the agonies of the Garden of Gethsemane that no other option was available. Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But if not, your will be done. That was Jesus' prayer. That was the agony of his wrestling in the garden. Was there an alternative? There was no option. This was the price. You see, sin and death are not just unfortunate realities of human life, like rust or woodworm, things to be managed by putting coatings on the metal bodies of cars so that they don't deteriorate so quickly, or by treating the effects of woodworm. When I bought the house that I'm now living in, which I'm trying to make into a home and got it surveyed. One of the things they discovered was that there was extensive woodworm in the roof space. The husband of the woman who had previously lived in the house had been a merchant seaman, and he had gone to sea for months at a time, and so he would take with him his possessions, his clothes, and other things uh, in wooden packing cases. And they would be on the ship for all that time. And then he would bring them back on his return home with his belongings in them. Unfortunately, those packing cases not only brought back his clothes and the things that he had purchased while overseas, they also brought woodworm into the roof space. And it was extensive and it required to be treated. The whole roof space, all the timbers had to be treated because of the damage that had been done. But sin and death are not like that. They're not like rust in a car or woodworm in a roof space. Sin and death cannot be managed. They must be defeated. And to do that meant that the only Son of God must go to the cross. Look at what you have in your hands. The bread and the wine. The body and blood of the Son of God. You are looking at the cost of what is wrong with the human race and at the unfathomable depth of the love which determined to put it right. Here is love, vast as the ocean, Loving kindness as the flood. When the prince of life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. Who his love will not remember? Who can cease to sing his praise? He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. How bad is it out there? Look at what is in your hands. And in the cost of what it took to put it right, see how bad it really is. At the Lord's Supper, we learn from the cost just how bad it is. But also in this supper, in this bread and wine, in this meal we share together, we see in it the extent. Last April, On the Monday of Holy Week, I took my wife to the hospital because she hadn't been well. And after six hours uh, in A&E, the doctor came and called me into the consulting room where she had been with Christine already for about 15 minutes. When I came into the consulting room and sat down, she said, Mr. Dickinson, I've just given your wife some bad news. The first question that occurred to me in my head was, what is the bad news? She said, we found a shadow on her lung and she has cancer. The second question that occurred to my mind was, how bad is it? She said, we have found this in her lung and then there are other issues in lymph nodes And then flew it around her heart and she went on to say a number of other things. By that I knew that the cancer had not been contained. And we knew that the news was very bad. The extent of the damage gives us an an idea of how bad things really are. And if sin and death affected only some of the human race, especially, especially if it was only the people we don't like or whose values we despise, it would not be so bad. But look at what you have in your hands. If the Lord's Supper points to the fact that there was no option other than the cross, it also points to the fact that there is no exception To its application. This meal is not an option for the believer. There is no one who does not need it, and there is no stage in earthly life in which it is not essential. The words of scripture that I quoted at the very beginning of the sermon, which we usually call the words of institution of the Lord's Supper, when Paul writes about the command of the Lord Jesus about this meal that we're about to share together. If you notice something about the words of Jesus in those scriptures, the verbs are active verbs. Do this, drink it, eat this, proclaim. They are all active verbs calling us to actions and activities. And therefore the Lord's Supper reminds us that what is wrong with the world is wrong with me. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Insert in those words any other human division that you like. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. All have sinned. What is wrong with the world is wrong with me. I am the one with bread and wine in my hands. So how is this helpful then? To discover that sin and death are radical difficulties about human life because every single person is affected by them. How is that helpful? Well, here's the funny thing. Recognizing this reality brings us to the one place in the whole universe where we can find help. Jesus tells a story about a Pharisee, a religious leader, a highly devout, good man, a tax collector, someone who was despised for his values and for the kind of life that he lived. And they come to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee, looking over his shoulder at the tax collector, says to God, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that that guy over there that I do this and I do that, and I don't do this and I don't do that. I bless you for all that I am. And then the tax collector, who wouldn't even come forward anywhere in the building where he could be seen, but who stood in the shadows near the rear with his head down, beat on his chest and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said that it was the tax collector and not the deeply devout religious man who went back to his house justified and forgiven. To understand the extent of sin and death, to appreciate that it affects not just the people out there that I don't like, but that it fundamentally affects me is the beginning of how I discover the solution. Look at what you have in your hands. You are involved with what is wrong with the world. You are to blame. And once you recognize that fact, you also recognize that what Jesus was doing on the cross is for you. Isn't that what the words of the Lord's Supper say to us? As often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You do this, and you receive this. You are to blame, but you receive what Jesus has done on your behalf. Sin and death are not just elements of who you are. They are who you are. What you have in your hands condemns you because it is evidence of the fact that you are like everyone else, but it also gives you hope This bread and this wine remind us that an inoculation against sin and death will not be enough. It is not antibodies that we need. It is surgery. Paul says in Colossians 2, talking about what stands against us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. This is the place of devastation. These elements are in my hands. I am eating bread and drinking wine at this table. I am part of the problem. But this is also the place of salvation. Paul says he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. When we come to the table together, we realize just how bad things are in the world. Because in this table, we see the cost. The only son of the living God on a cross. That is the cost. That is how we understand how deep in our culture and in our race, sin and death really run. The only price that could possibly deal with it was the death of Christ on the cross. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. We see the cost. And in this meal, we see the extent. Because everyone in the room has bread and wine in their hands. Everyone who claims loyalty to Jesus Christ sits at this table and eats this meal. I am part of the problem. And at this table, I remember how that problem is dealt with. And once again, I look upon the cross where you died. I'm humbled by your mercy and I'm broken inside. Once again, I thank you. Once again, I pour out my life.